You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Mike Bradbury. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Stuart. Yeah, uh, pleasure to be on. Indeed, indeed. Now, just to give the listener a bit of context about, about yourself, first off, I met you at Frightfest uh, 2019, a couple of months ago in August. We were obviously keen horror fans because we were in a pub watching Liverpool versus Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, I, think, I think one of the first surprises was my man Straxon and my support for Liverpool for you, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I was, uh, I was expecting a fight and um, ended up with um, a friend. <laughs> <laughs> and an invite onto a podcast. Yeah. Now, the reason for that is because I think, as well, our conversation started because you, you'd been talking about I'd, I'd, behind me, I couldn't help but hear about um, exhibition and, and, and projection, but I think you were talking about a specific show. I think it was The Boys. And I yeah, said, it was, yeah. And I said, look, guys, because um, you, you never know, do you? Because you're talking to a stranger and you kind of go, look, guys, um, I've not seen it, so please don't spoil it for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good um, job you said that because we were well and truly going to spoil that for you. We're completely well, inadvertently. Well, yeah. Well, I heard what you. The other ones I'd seen that I'd heard, I was like, well, I've heard that, and I could just switch off. Kind of thinking mm. I've seen that kind of thing, but then it was that one. I was thinking, oh no, that's, and I've still not watched it, so don't spoil it yet. Um, so, and then that led me to learn that you worked in exhibition as part of the Odeon Cinema Group. Yeah. 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 So, do you want to give people your job title first, so then we get a sense of what we're talking about? Yeah, um, I'm the uh, head of sound and projection for Odeon Cinemas Group, which covers the whole of Europe. So it's um, yeah, across 13 different countries. Wowza. Mm -hmm. So the reason for me inviting you on, and this is a difference for, for step change, I suppose, from, from the normal shows I do where I speak to filmmakers about making films, is that I'm fascinated as a layperson, and I, and I should stress this, listener, this is what I put in the email. I says, let me be, I said to Mike, let me be the layperson that asks the stupid questions. And... Uh, uh, because I think it's I think it's 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 a it's a, an important part, obviously, of how we see films. But it's also a, an important part that producers of films and directors of films don't often engage with on a on a on maybe um, a practical level because it's somebody else's problem. So we're not going to solve we're not going to close that gap completely by this conversation. But I thought it'd be interesting to talk about maybe in the twenty first century a bit of a potted history as to what's changed and where we are now. And then think about what that means in terms of your average independent filmmaker trying to get their film on a big screen in 21st century UK cinemas. How does that sound, Mike? Uh, yeah, we'll try our best. <laughs> well, just as, <laughs> so the reason I'm sort of thinking 21st century is that I recently did um, five great British films with uh, Nick James, of former of Sight and Sound. And, and when I did that, I sort of did a potted history of film for, for, um, for his time as editor and it fascinated me that 1998 was the year that DVD arrives, which obviously is a digital format. Um, but it takes another 10 years for that format to overtake VHS as the main sort of way that we consume films in our homes. And that begged the question then. So if that's, if that's home entertainment changing at the rate of 
one format every 10 years. What, what's the significant change in terms of like, we all know projectors and, fil and film stock going through a projector, but obviously we live in a digital age. So where and how was the, the sort of changeover began for digital projection and, and what we now have? Yeah, well, the, the format changes don't change as often as that in cinema. <laughs> um, so you've got VHS that obviously started in the in the 70s and, as you say, went on to, to the 2000s or, or 98, whatever it was. And, you know, cinema obviously started in, in the late 1800s and pretty much everything was still on 35 mil film uh, up until around 2009 or 10. I think the last... The last prints were being um, struck up around 2012 or 13. Um, can't, I, can't, I don't know exact date, but it was around that time. But the first, the, the start of the transition um, was with um, Star Wars film, uh, The Phantom Menace in 1999. Uh, that was the, that was George Lucas wanting to transform the world to digital. prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force you believe it's this boy he can see things before they happen so we he, he got we basically had a very very few digital projectors installed you know one-offs here and there just to sort of test the water and it was it wasn't even proper full hd really it was kind of the equivalent of 720p um you know it was a one it was called 1.3k um, which is around, you know, 1,200 and something pixels um, wide by 720 pixels tall. Uh, so that's that's technically HD, but it's kind of the lowest form of HD, really. Um, and it wasn't really good enough to replace film at the time, but it was it was very experimental. And, let, you know, let's see if we can project a, a, a live action film um, digitally. So and what, that, that's interest, what it started. So, if, if that, so interesting, given my intro about filmmakers and distributors. So this is, in a sense, what you're saying is there's 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 a filmmaker sort of instigating a change rather than a cinema chain saying, "Can you give us films like this, please?" Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you know, George Lucas was never been happy with cinemas in general, which is one of the reasons why. He brought out the THX standard where, you know, he would give a cinema a, a THX certificate. Um, if, if it reached a particular standard, uh, you know, of acoustics and, you know, speaker uh, quality, um, projection quality and if you had this THX certificate then it was a it was a big deal really there was a lot of cinemas that were that were you know prestigious cinemas that got this THX certificate and you and you couldn't just get it and rest on your laurels as well you you had to maintain it and you had to be recertificated every so often wow see this is like this is like getting a look at the wizard behind the curtain now because as a as a consumer you can, I've seen that THS logo on a million films, probably not a million, but I've never given it a thought that this is like some sort of hard-to-reach Michelin star standard of film. Yeah, and it is, it is a standard of, of excellence. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a format, so to speak. A lot of people think that it's a format like, um, I don't know, like DVD or Blu-ray or something like that. It's not an actual format. It's just a, it's just a quality approval. It's more like a kite mark. So I get the impression then, obviously, if it's took 100, 100 years for us to sort of stop relying on 35mm prints uh, in cinemas, the, the 99 didn't exactly signal a race to the 21st century, but the boat, the big, huge boat began to turn around and embrace the notion that it was going to have to be digital. So how do we make it work? So what, after, Star, after that Star Wars prequel, what what then became was was it was it a want to try and embrace digital or was it 
to be ready for the next film, big film that comes along that demands. Because obviously, if if a film needs it, then people can only see it if you've got the projector, can't they? I suppose. Well, I think there was a there was a bit of a battle. There were some people that were saying, "Oh, you know, we want to film on digital," and there were some people saying, "We want to project on digital." Because ultimately, when you when things move to a digital format, it becomes quite it becomes quicker, usually cheaper. Um, you know, it's every, every you know they were they were editing um, digitally uh, quite early as well uh, because everything is you know time is money, and 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 they wanted things to be quicker and and faster and cheaper and you know that that was the main motivation it's just that because it was early technology and they were pushing it out the door before it was really ready but again they were they were pioneering both from the projection side and the recording side you know because there were there were cameras that were being um created as well to to record digitally just as well as being be able to project it digitally um and and the the two standards were were, were kind of racing ahead at, at the same time you know you record it better, you can project it back better. And if you remember with 28 Days Later, you know, and how grainy that looked. I mean, that was one of the very first early digital cameras uh, where, where he shot that digitally and everyone was like, oh, it looks really realistic and almost documentarian. And it's... much as good as it could get at the time. I was thinking, God, I mean, hope, hope not, not every film starts looking like that. <laughs> you know I mean? I mean, even though there's a, there's a place for that, but I didn't yeah. really want everything to look like that, you know, overnight. I thought this digital's a bit, it's a bit crap. Yeah, if you, think, if you think about like late 60s, Once Upon a Time in America, Once Upon a Time in the West, sorry, and you think that's immaculate. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And then you had, you know, Michael Mann started to use it a lot more. I think he did... Um, collateral uh, digitally because he wanted to see all of the shots of, um, of the cityscape in the back and, and it meant that he could pick it up. He didn't have to light it like he would in, if he was using film um, and things like that. So, you know, there, there was definitely a move to digital, but then you had some of the purists or some would call them Luddites um, who were just, no, I demand everything on film because film is real cinema. So, um, so in a way, was the engine driving this more from the pioneering filmmakers and the cinema chains and independent cinemas were kind of waiting to see which was the best direction to head. Uh, yeah, I think I think there was this. Oh, there's these new digital projectors uh, starting to happen, uh, but at the time they were very expensive. Um, so you know, they were really out out of the reach of most cinema operators, whether you were a small cinema operator or a large one. Uh, ultimately, the cost was very prohibitive. Uh, so a lot of the early projectors were being put in um, almost free of charge by the by um, the people who were who were making them, um, so that you could just test it in a live environment. And, and was the and, and you t- you mentioned there about uh, with the Star Wars one the kind of format it was and what and to what to what um, what HD it was at. So. If, if visual is one thing, I'm guessing then also audio is another thing. If that's all, if you digitalize them both, then they both have an impact in terms of how the cinema is able to present it to me, the punter. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so they went they went from 1.3k uh, to 2k, um, uh, and then once they went to 2k, then it's it really started to you know everyone was everyone started to sit up straight and say, oh, you know what, this is actually starting to look pretty good now. Um, so I actually forget what the first 2K film was, um, but it was, uh, I think it was around 2004 or five. Um, and we, we were getting a few films we, 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 and also they started to, to, to bring out 3D films. Um, and some of the early, very early 3D films that we get, <coughs> sorry, um, were really mind blowing. Because we'd all seen 3D, but we'd never really seen 3D the way that the, these new digital projectors could show it. 
Um, and it, it really was a, a, a game changer. Um, you know, films like Stuart Little, they were mostly kids' films at, 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 to start with. Um, but Stuart Little... Okay, now, if it gets too cold or too scary, you just tell us. Don't worry, Dad. I can handle it. Or yank on the string. We'll pull you right up. You know that that was a that was a big deal, uh, and then because we were seeing lots of people come in and be very curious, it really did make the cinema market wake up and think, hey, there's something in this digital projection. Because if people are coming into the cinema in droves to watch this 3D, then you know it's it actually might be worth paying for it. So in a sense, what you're saying is the kind of proof of concept plus experience plus then popularity, which obviously is that is is is, a, is obviously an attractive thing is 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 what sort of pricked the attention of the distributors to say we need to be exhibiting this this is this is what people want as opposed to as opposed to what do we need to have to show a film it's like no the audiences want this and is it then is that then becoming a feedback loop to say make your films like this uh a little bit i mean to be honest if it if, if 3d had never happened uh arguably potentially still be arguing about whether we should be moving from 35 mil to digital even today <clears throat> um because it was all about cost it was like well you know what you ask a lot of the people coming to the cinema now and they already think you are digital um you know i used to take people around a projection room and they a lot of them would be amazed that we we're still using film uh they would just automatically all assume that everything would be on a disc um, and that we play films digitally already. And, you know, it was actually a bit of a compliment because it meant that all your films weren't scratched or anything like that. It was, it was, it was great. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, a lot of people saying, well, you can't just go from film to digital and say, Hey, now we're digital because a lot of people think we already are. So, you know, where's the benefit? Um, and the main benefit was it was actually, a, there was a benefit on both sides. Um, because we didn't need as many people to operate digital because it was easier. There was no big bulky prints to make up. So, you know, projectionists were, were, were in, we didn't need as many or if any projectionists. Um, and there's a, there's a big debate at the moment as to whether, you know, there's an element of throwing the baby out of the bathwater when it came to projectionists. Um, but, you know, the distributors were also saying, well, we, we would want, we're not going to need to spend much on, on, you know, making prints, um, you know, because putting, putting a film out digitally is a hell of a lot cheaper than it is to make a 35 mil print and distribute this really heavy print around the world. Um, you know, and, you know, 2000 prints at a time. So there were, there was a lot of, um, benefits on both sides. Uh, and that actually hindered the, the, the transition because there was a bit of an arm wrestle of well who should pay for this uh, should it be should it be the distributors um, because they're going to benefit more than the exhibitors and the exhi and the distributors would say well no it should be you because you're going to benefit more than we are um, so it was a bit of a bit of an arm wrestle for a while uh, until they brought out this thing called the the virtual print fee which was a, or the VPF, as it's known in the industry. Um, and that was a mechanism whereby uh, an independent, um, you know, effectively a, a bank or um, somebody would, that would lend you money, uh, would buy all of the digital projection equipment and the distributor would, every time they played a film, uh, they would pay the cinema uh, or they would pay this um, bank uh, a virtual print fee. Uh, so, right, you know, for instance, if you was to have to strike up a 35 mil print, what well, they were saying, well, you don't have to do that anymore. So the money that you would normally have paid for that will go to this bank who will then take the money uh, and, and use that money to pay for the equipment that will be installed into the cinema. <clears throat> so and, and that was. Uh, a mechanism that would be going on until the, the, the new digital equipment was paid for. Um, so now there's a lot of the, the checkers have been digital now for about, you know, eight, nine years, um, depending on the chain or the cinema operator. Um, you 
a lot of those virtual print fee deals, which were usually around eight years long, eight to 10 years long, are now coming to the end. So, you know, every at the moment, every film with a virtual print fee deal, you, the distributor has to pay uh, a, a virtual print fee, which is, I don't know what it is, it's around four, 450 to 500, 600 pounds, whatever it is per film. Um, and now that the virtual print fee is effectively over, uh, depending on which cinema it is and depending on what deal it is, um, it means now that you no lo- the distributors no longer have to pay to have their film play in your cinema. So that should technically allow a lot more films to be played in the cinemas because it's effectively free to distribute. Good Lord. When I say free, you've still got to get the actual content to the cinema, but you don't have to pay for the privilege of that. No, I get you. Yeah, no, it's like it's. Uh, if, if I think back to the if I think something in, my, in the real life, they said, didn't they, that the Mersey Tunnel was only get paid for by people paying a fee, and I think people yeah. still pay, don't they? And it was like, a, yeah. <laughs> it was it's pretty thing. much the same. It's pretty much the same as that. You give us the mo- we'll give you the money to buy, to build a bridge, and then you pay us back. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Over a certain and so, so, so we've reached that period then, <coughs> which is interesting because I, I can't. You've just said you've just described something that I think um, I've had many a lay, layman's conversation with with sort of indie producers, and it's what's this bloody fee for? You know, because they'll see it in the because con- it'll be in their contract. Because obviously, ultimately, the film's paying for it, not the distributor. You know, the distributor obviously writes the check because they're they're the, they're the go between, but ultimately, it's costing the filmmaker. And they ne- and it, it was never described as being this is a you know because obviously um, you used to pay for a film because it was a physical thing but you know digital is just ones and zeros there's no there's no manufacture of anything it's just putting it on something the size of a memory stick isn't it really and giving it to a cinema to to, to then download into their system um, and and they resented it but, but having heard that so basically an eight year period was kind of naturally agreed between exhibitors and distributors. I, I'm at a loss as to why that wasn't fully understood, but that's maybe just some daft filmmakers I've met, maybe. Um, yeah, and the, the 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 process was, you know, literally as we have said, was you know it could be eight years, it could be you could you, if you played a lot of films, you could pay that off earlier. Uh, there was a lot of accountants that were obviously were bean counters that were obviously just you know taking all of this information in working out how much it had been paid off so that they, you know, they know that they then know when it's all been paid off. And it, as I say, it will, it will vary from exhibitor to exhibitor because they all had different deals. Um, some, some like Odeon did, I mean, Odeon negotiated each individual deal with each individual distributor, you know, uh, separately. Whereas another exhibitor might've took whatever the, you know, some, some offered package deals of, um, you know, we have this general finance arrangement um, and you can either take that because it's relatively straightforward and easy or you can do it yourself. Uh, and, you know, some went with a package deal because it was easy and some did it themselves. So now, so when, at the start of this, you said what the specification was in terms of what we were watching on screen when we watched Phantom Menace. So if I walk into your best Odeon tomorrow and watch a film, what am I watching then in comparison to how how far have we gone from ninety nine to now, which is obviously quite conveniently for the purpose <laughs> of the show. In two decades, what's happened to the image I'm watching compared to ninety nine? Um, quite a lot, actually. Um we started off with um standard digital projection. So most of the first of all, there was only four manufacturers of projectors in the world. Um and there's there's three that use similar technology, DLP technology, which you may have heard of, which you see in a lot of conference projectors and things like that, uh, digital eye processing from Texas Instrument. And they use a very specific uh, DMD chip, um, which is basically just a chip with all of the pixels on it. Um, and they, they do a 2K um, HD chip and they do a 4K HD chip. 4K ones are obviously bigger. Um, and you can choose which ones you want to do. Um, but there's there's only three projector manufacturers that use that particular kind of chip, and they license that chip from Texas Instruments, and that's um, Barco, which are based in Belgium, Christie, which are based in America, and there's NEC, which are based in Japan. Uh, and the reason they did that was because they wanted to have a projector manufacturer on the east, one on the west, and one in the middle in, of Europe. Um, 
and Sony decided to create their own um, chip as such, <coughs> and they created their own version, uh, and they they are they are only 4K, so they only use 4K uh, projection projection. Um, so there's only four manufacturers of, of projectors, but they generally, you know, mostly give you the same output. Um, and it's about brightness and it's about contrast level. And generally speaking, you get about 2000 to one contrast ratio um, from a standard digital projector. And I'm using that as a, as a base point of 2000 to one uh, because most of the advances in technology uh, from then to now have been in trying to improve that contrast level. Um, so you can now get projectors with contrast levels up to um, you know, 10,000 to one or 12,000 to one. Um, but the, the, uh, but and, and they're, they're really good and you can still use the same um, films that you would get delivered for projectors playing at 2,000 to one. You don't need a specifically mastered DCP for them. Um, but then you have other um, sort of proprietary technologies that are particularly, um, you know, they, they, they've gone to town really on on trying to really increase that contrast level and really get the best, um, high, they call it high dynamic range um, contrast levels in the business. And you've got two, you've got IMAX who have in, um, used their new um, laser projection systems. Um, you, so instead of using a xenon lamp for the light, <coughs> excuse me, uh, they'll use um, laser projection, a red, green, and blue laser projector. Um, and you've also got Dolby, which is Dolby Cinema or Dolby Vision, um, and they use laser projection as well, but they use a dual laser system. Uh, IMAX also have a dual laser system, but they've recently released their uh, single laser system called the Commercial Laser. Uh, and they are offering deep, what they basically mean is that you get much deeper blacks, much blacker blacks, um, and you get much brighter whites within the same frame. Because you can have a really white uh, frame uh, and something that looks really bright, but it's usually sacrificing the black. So the black will now look a bit muddy and a bit um, more yeah, like stream, streaming, streaming platforms <laughs> struggle the hell with this one, don't they, at the moment? Yeah, they do. I mean, some some are some are better than others, um, and and that's that's what you get in, the, in in domestic TVs now as well. You see a lot of HDR TVs, uh, whether it's HDR10, HDR10 plus. You can get Dolby Vision TVs, and it's effectively just giving you a really good high contrast ratio TV. Um, and if you play specifically mastered high contrast content. Which you can, you know, you've seen a lot of those 4K HDR Blu-rays that are just routed up. Um, you know, they they can look really good. Uh, you don't really notice how good they are until you watch them side by side with a standard definition or standard dynamic range. It's interesting, um, isn't it, that the 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 two problems for digital, which I don't think is a problem as much for for for, for film, is the two the two colours as we know them, which in science terms aren't really colours black and white, are they? Uh, no, no. <clears throat> they're kind of like no light or all light, aren't they, in reality? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and you know, just, just to go back to the contrast, because I was saying 2000 to 1, yeah. you know, Dolby Vision uh, advertised that they are now uh, a million to 1 contrast. Oh, jeez. <laughs> which is effectively, you know, like looking at the sun and then looking into deep space. Um, but in order to attain that, is that, their, is that their sales pitch, by the way? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, now, because I, IMAX do something similar, I don't actually know what the contrast ratio is on the IMAX laser projector because the, the figures are not as used in their marketing. Um, but uh, they are still very, very deep blacks uh, and very bright whites um, with their with their laser system. Uh, so they are like a competitor, I suppose, with with Dolby. Um, you know, in the empire, the empire that the Fright Fest is held at, um, the, the Cine World Empire. Yeah. What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Greetings, everyone. Let's begin. 
What I'm telling you, it's the truth. I'm afraid that we woke something up. There is nothing out there! What was that? It all comes alive. Are you hearing anything or seeing anything out of the ordinary? We've got some really good stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, that's that's a laser uh, projection system um, that uses the high high cont high contrast um, systems there. Um, but they obviously don't have the I'm not saying obviously, but they don't normally play the high contrast films on that projector uh, because it's not IMAX mastered. Um, they're just using the IMAX projector. Um, and the over the road at Leicester, uh, Odeon Leicester Square, they have the Dolby Vision. Um, the Dolby Cinema, Dolby Vision um, set, set up there. Uh, that was in that was in full. For, for obviously, for for the for the bigger pictures, like your kind of your, your Lucas films and your, your Disney's and your Pixar's and your Marvel comic universe stuff, none of this is a problem. Obviously, this is this is the world they enter into. This is the place they're going to exhibit. But but for the ind for the independent filmmakers who who are looking to you know maybe get that that week the week run at a cinema, which is the kind of people that I'm going to, I get coming on the podcast listening to this. What are the challenges for those filmmakers to make what they're doing best for this kind of, in a world where, you know, contrast is a million to one? Uh, it's very difficult. It is it, because you, you are, <clears throat> because they're expensive to install these um, very high contrast ratio um, film uh, projectors. Um, it's very, very, they're not they're not a pound a penny you know you, you don't find them on every street corner there's only you know there's there's a handful out there um you know and as i say leicester square is where you know we've got one in leicester square we've got one in leeds we've got one in trafford in manchester we're just about to open one in birmingham but as i say that they're major city areas only um they're not they're not on every street corner okay uh, so, so so your average so okay so what you're saying is this is this is the top of the shop projection. So in, in, in a kind of um, main street digital cinema projection, not, not necessarily the top of the shop stuff, what are the challenges for the independent filmmaker to have their sort of be film ready for that kind of projection that you're going to find in most sort of, you know, most towns and cities? Well, there's, you know, I did a, a talk recently for the um, National Film and Television School, uh, and one of the one of the questions was, you know, are any two <coughs> sorry are any two screens the same? Um, and the answer is, well, yes and no. There's a lot of different factors that can, you know, improve the image or make the image worse. Uh, you know, even things like the seat colours, uh, the colour of the walls, which can reflect light back onto the screen <clears throat> um which will wash out some of the some of the contrast um you know the screen type that you use whether it's white screen silver screen or a, a, a relatively basic silver screen for 3d or a, a quite expensive silver screen for 3d all of these things matter you know whether you've got a a high gain on the screen so you can reflect more light back so you get the right brightness, uh, whether that is a flat screen or a curved screen, because if it's a flat screen, then you generally get what's called a hot spot in the middle. Um, and the sides might not be quite as bright. Uh, so you don't get great uniformity. Whereas if you've got a curved screen, that will help with the uniformity because it will bring the reflected light more into into the audience's eyes rather than reflect into the side walls. Um, so. You know, all of these little details can impact how an image looks on screen. Um, and, you know, the, these are the things that a lot of people might not notice. But if you're in if you're a filmmaker, you will notice it. Uh, and if you're an exhibitor, uh, certainly the technical side of the exhibitors, uh, 
specifically me. Um, you notice everything like that, and it can really ruin the film for you because you can see that it might not be being projected the way it should be, um, and it will it really detracts because that's all I'm thinking of because it's kind of an occupational hazard in a way. Uh, so the the filmmakers, you know, often when they're doing a premiere or if they're, you know, doing a rehearsal or they've got a special screening or a gala or something like that, then they'll spend a lot of time trying to attune uh, their film specifically for that room. You know, they'll they'll make sure it's the right brightness. If it's not the right brightness, then they might even they might even go and do a special special grade uh, for the film. So um, so, DC, so grading and then DCP in and then what you're saying is try and allow time to test and get your screen ready before you're premiering. If you take the opportunity to, if you take the opportunity to take your, your local Odeon to show in the area where the film was shot or something, then strike up a conversation with your exhibitor and say, look, can I get time in here to make sure the way we prepared my film is the best for your screen? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I, if I was a filmmaker, I would definitely ask for that because you know, not all auditoriums are made equal. Uh, they all have standards they're supposed to achieve. Um, but, you know, um, and most do, to be fair. You know, they, they do. There are people that go up and down the country making sure that they're all working as, as absolutely good as they can. Um, but there are restrictions at times and, and things go, go wrong at times. Um, and with the best will in the world, you'll want to play a film correctly and 100% as the filmmaker intended. Um, but occasionally it doesn't. And what's, usually what, what's a schoolboy error then for your your average sort of indie filmmaker to turn up for that for that kind of one off one off screening rather than the film distributing where you know they're 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 sort of they're gambling a lot to get to have a little bit of an impact with their movie and it's obviously a big moment in the in in the context of their own film which is obviously not, not yeah I mean to be honest most most filmmakers and and you know whether it's the photographer that comes in and makes sure it is or the director or the colorist or whoever. Um, or even just a representative will come in and, and it, it, they're not so much, they won't make the schoolboy errors, um, but the, the biggest schoolboy error is to just automatically assume everything will be okay. Um, because, because it, it just might not. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think one of the, one of the learnings is that you just, just go and have a look at that screen, go and have, go and speak to the, to the manager, just ask to put something on that you know what it was supposed to look like. Um, and just put it on, uh, or go and watch a film in there, or, or just rehearse your own content. Um, you know, there's 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 many people that just turn up and hope for the best, um, and that's fine because if it's a venue that's used to doing premieres, then it'll usually be you know there or thereabouts. Um, but I I personally would always check. Uh, it's a little bit like when you when you you've been there at a fright fest when when they've said right we're going Ian will come along and say right we're going to kick you all out because we need to do a rehearsal, um and 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 that's that's exactly what it is it's just making sure that everything's going to be right when the film comes on for the for the people who are going to see it for the first time. Yeah, because you can't unsee it for the first time, can you? And it's like if something goes dramatically wrong. So I don't know. I don't know what what. If if there is a spot or something that isn't that is is affected by the way it's either been prepared or the way it's being projected that isn't the best or the optimum for what the film is, you're not you're not going to know as a viewer that wasn't meant to be there. Or well, an absolute classic example was a movie we watched at Fright Fest um, when it was the I think it was the original uh, Empire before it got converted to an IMAX. <laughs> <coughs> um, and there was a film come on, it was in German. Oh yeah, I remember um, that one, Urban Explorers. Berlin Underground. We're going to be walking in places where people haven't been for the last 50 years. Maybe for our good reason. Urban exploration, illegal trespassing and examination of urban areas or industrial facilities. <laughs> Hitler was obsessed with conquering space as well as Earth. And it came on, and there was no subtitles on most of the German language stuff, and nobody realised. No, there wasn't, and and nobody realised that it was supposed to have 
German German sub, or English subtitles until the director came on at the end and went, oh, I'm really sorry. That was, I, I can't imagine how you must have enjoyed that because there was no subtitles and it was supposed to be. <laughs> if, I wish, if, I, if I wish for it, mate, it's better without the subtitles. <laughs> I've, well, I've, we, see, I've seen it subsequently and it's a lot more menacing when you've got no fucking idea what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you can understand what's going on without the subtitles, and it's usually a good film because it's been told visually. Mm, indeed. Now, it, we, we've we've sort of I wouldn't exactly say we've nailed technology, but I feel like I've got a greater appreciation of of kind of the journey we've been on. It's been a kind of like you know experimenters and pioneers, and then and then suddenly the market's gone. Actually, it's what our customer wants, so we're going to have to make that move. So let's talk exhibitors and distributors, but. Like vinyl in music, film as a as a as a format that lasted 110 years or so, is or 120 years, I guess, from what you're saying, um, is still some it's still something that's in demand. And you know, obviously, the bigger the bigger headline grabbers would be, you know, Tarantino shooting on 65 mil or 70 mil um, for, for for the for the IMAX and stuff. Um, it. In, and I'm guessing a lot of what goes on is that that film that he shoots is then made digital to be projected. So it's like a, a digital reproduction of a film image as opposed to a print of a film. But do, is, is there still room in, in the mass marketplace for film projection or is it very much a kind of Prince Charles and, and the like who are going to provide that service going forward? Yeah, the, the, the latter, I'm afraid. It's very oh, much a Prince Charles my. or niche cinema um, or art house cinema. Um, I know the home home cinema in Manchester they do they do film. There's a couple of other cinemas that do film around uh, for when it when it gets called upon. Um, you know, Prince Charles, even Leicester Square does do film. Uh, Odeon Leicester Square, that is, I should say. Um, you know, when we did the big Dolby Cinema conversion, we always wanted to make sure we had the ability to play uh, 35 or 70 mil film. Um, for such an occasion when either Mr. Christopher Nolan or Quentin Tarantino or Paul Thomas Anderson or somebody, you know, really wants to showcase their film exactly the way they want to in, you know, effectively the the heart of Leicester Square. I went to the I went to the hateful eight at your Leicester Square branch for that where we did the beautiful with the intermission and everything. This Christmas, experience the movie event unlike any you've seen before. The Hateful Eight. In this special version. Projected in 70 millimeter. Twice the size of what you're used to. Now we're talking. It's truly amazing. You can see a lot more than you're used to. Tarantino style. Don't miss this exclusive cinematic experience that will blow you away. Start to see pictures, ain't you? The Hateful Eight. Rated R. Select theaters Christmas Day. Buy tickets now at tickets.thehateful8.com. There is a call for it. It's it's romantic, um, and and but people come from miles around to watch it that way, um, and you know I I think it's a, a it's a special event now when that happens, um, and you know we we were asked at the time, you know Mike, how easy would it be to play Hateful Eight, you know, in a hundred cinemas in the UK, and I said well. I mean, we've we've got we've still got the projectors in place in a lot of places. We'll probably have to clean them down and oil them up and make sure they're all working. But it's not so much the the equipment as it is the skill set to work them. Um, we just don't have the projectionists anymore. If you remember, we made them redundant, and you know we we haven't got them in the cinema anymore. And you can't just learn that stuff in a week. You've really I've heard got this to before. Know. It's interesting, isn't it? That it's not the technology that's defeated us. It's we've made the skill to use the technology redundant more than we have the oh, absolutely more than the technology, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. You know, as I say, I get asked. You know, well, how how hard can it be? Um, and it's like it's bloody hard. It's you know, it's hard to do it right uh, because if you don't do it right, then you are going to end up scratching the film or making a mockery of it and. You know, before you know it, you're going to find out why we had skilled projectionists, um, you know, back in the day, because it's going to look awful. Um, you know, one of the one of the things actually that, that makes me laugh is, uh, you know, when when people, you know, when you go to the Prince Charles and you might go and watch, you know, anything on 35 mil, which is Big Trumital China or True Romance or whatever it is. Um, and, the, and you can see scratches on the print and. You know, it might be a bit dirty, and it, it all adds to the romanticism of film. Um, 
But but when I was a projectionist, you know, way back when, if I'd have had a scratch on a film or there was any dirt on the print, I would have been mortified. Um, I would have been, you know, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's dirty. Or, I can't believe I've scratched it. Oh, what the hell am I going to do? Like, whereas now it's, it's considered romantic. <laughs> it's well, yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's like the popping static on a on a dirty record. There's, it's exactly the same. There's, some, there's yeah. some reassurance attached to it. Now, um, one last thing to ask then. So we've, we've, we've kind of done a kind of potted history and where we're at. So for you now as, as someone, you know, overseeing European ex- exhibition for Odeon, what what's the what's the next challenge? Because I mean, if I, if I think if I think if I remember rightly, I think don't we we see in sixteen k, don't we? As a uh, human yeah, eyeball, sixteen yeah. k. Yeah, um, I've heard that number totted around. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's a there's a more precise number than that. But like, are we are we heading toward? Is that what the the dream is, or is have we kind of is, have we reached the kind of point where you know it's diminishing returns and actually any more precise and. No one's ever going to notice the difference apart from the person who who turns the projector on. Yeah, it's it's very scientific, uh, but which I don't know enough about. But uh, the, the 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 answer, if you ask in my opinion, is no. We're not going to be going to. Uh, we're very probably not going to go to eight k. We're not going to go to sixteen k uh, because it's not necessarily about the amount of pixels. Um, it's about how good those pixels are um, because there's various different qualities of pixels. Uh, and also it's more about bit rate as well, you know, refresh rate and frame rate and things like that. Um, because obviously film is 24 frames per second. Um, with digital, it's still 24 frames per second. Uh, but, the, the, the you know, trying to, um, some filmmakers, you know, Ang Lee with um, uh, Gemini Man and, Billy Lynn's Long Half-Time Walk, Hobbit, you know, all tried with uh, high frame rate, which was, you know, Hobbit was 48 frames per second, and Billy, well, um, Gemini Man was released in 3D at 60 frames per second, or in in a Dolby theatre, I think it was 120 frames per second. Mm. Tell me something. Why is it so hard for you to kill this man? He knew every move of mine before I made it. There's a big question mark about, you know, that looks very real, as in very clear. Uh, but is it cinema? Is it, is it, does it look the same as, as film? Um, and, some, and it's very subjective. Some people really don't like it because they think it looks like TV um, and like a BBC drama. Uh, and some people absolutely love it because they just see how clear it is and how there's all the, all the motion is very fluid, um, and it's 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 dividing people. Um, but it's not necessarily about how many pixels you need. You really don't need more pixels if you want it to look clearer. Um, I don't know if you saw Gemini Man or Hobbit in high frame rate, but the clarity of what it looked like, um, even on 2K. Uh, was was insanely good. Um, it's quite actually, freaky. Uh, it's quite freaky. I think it's not. I don't know if I like or dislike it, but it's so noticeably different that it, it kind of for 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 like a ten minutes or so, you're kind of going, "What?" Because you've kind of got you. You know, you, you can't help but know what is your whatever you've decided is normal. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It can even for me it brings me out the film. Um, and I'm, I should, I'm thinking I shouldn't be thinking about the technology. I should just be in, involved in the story. Yeah. Interestingly, because you're aware of what you're what you're reacting to, I'm just thinking, what the fuck's going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't even yeah. aware of the the, the, the sort of uh, the difference in the framework. You know, going sitting down, I'm just watching a movie. And often, you know, being a being a, a, a sad a sad film geek as I am, I'll watch two films back to back. So I'll literally come out of one film and into the other. So there's no. There's no greater test, is there, really, of what something looks like compared to another? It's to watch two no, films. No, absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, it's not 8K. It's more about you know bit rate and refresh rate because it, the the more pixels you've got to move, the more bit rate you need, and so the more the power impact. of the computer more than it is about the clarity of the image. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's how fast can that projector stroke 
server, which is effectively just a, a computer that's a, a video with a video power, powerful video card in it. Uh, how fast can that actually process the image? Um, and you know, we can't process it fast enough, frankly, at the moment with the current technology. Yeah, and I mean, it's, the, get, it's get, the thing with VR, isn't it? I mean, I think VR filming is suffering from the same thing. They know what they want to achieve, but the the computers have to be the, the computer backing up the camera lens has to be the size of a car, you know. And, you, and you're like, if that's 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 going, that's making everything impractical again. We kind of moved. Technology got lighter and lighter and tinier and tinier to do bigger and bigger jobs. And then suddenly we've got here's a huge problem. Now we need a huge computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, are, we yeah, gaining, yeah. are we gaining much there or what? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's being pushed by engineers that are not necessarily creative. And it's just a question of we, we want to do it because we can or we want to see if we can. Um, and then I always we, we have a saying in the, in the cinema industry since Jurassic Park opened, which is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and, you know, that's that's what we're always trying to make sure we don't we don't just go with something because it's available. Mm. You need to make sure that it's going to work and it's in, it's important. And, you know, not just the filmmaker wants it, but the customer wants it as well. Now, just before we go, um, I'll because uh, because I was just thinking it's we're getting towards November. So I can, it's close to the end of 2019. So for you, what's been maybe two of your favourite cinema experiences of 2019 to date? Oh, now you're asking. I wasn't prepared for this. Um, gosh. Uh, you know what? One of, them, one of them was at the Fright Fest when I watched Ready or Not. We're going to start the count. Good luck. believe that in half an hour I will be a part of the Ladomus gaming dynasty empire uh, Dominion we prefer Dominion I honestly can't wait to be a part of your family there's just one more thing and then you are officially part of the family so at midnight you have to play a game why it's just something we do when someone new joins the family a game what game? Hide and seek? Are we really going to play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. I wasn't actually going to go to the Fright Fest this year, and I got cold feet and decided to go last minute, and I went on the Saturday and Sunday only, but I managed to watch Ready or Not. However, it was right at the front of that um, really big screen uh and it was and a lot of the film was shot in close-up and it was just just insane coming on but I, I loved it because of all of the because of the like-minded people watching it to be honest i mean the film was was pretty good it wasn't amazing it was pretty good but it, it's always better when you're watching it with people you know that are the same like the same kind of films you do um that's one thing technology hasn't changed has it not the shared experience no. of watching a film with other people no, absolutely. And you know what? Going back to the to the print issue and being scratched, it doesn't matter what it looks or sounds like as well, particularly if you've already seen it. Um, it's just about, you know, loving what's going up on screen with a, with a load of your mates and a, maybe a beer. And is, it, there, is, um, is there any prestigious screening stuff coming up before the end of 2019 for Odeon? Have they got anything, anything lined up that you know of? Uh, well, we've, we're all getting geared up for Frozen 2. Lambs and into the unknown. 
careful. We have always feared Elsa's powers were too much for this world. Now we must hope. I won't let anything happen to her. Uh, and we're all getting geared up for Star Wars, obviously. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. If this mission fails, it was all for nothing. We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. Your journey nears its end. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Tickets available now. But what, what was the other really good experience this year? Uh, ooh. You know what? It was probably, we opened the cinema in Germany, and it was really weird. We watched, um, we watched, uh, what was it called now? That um, that Harry Potter film that's not called Harry Potter. Um, yeah, Fantastic yeah. Beasts. Fantastic. Fantastic Beasts. Or maybe that was very late last year. But I watched it in Germany, and I thought, because we opened the new cinema there in Berlin, and I thought, all right, I'll, I'll enjoy this. And it was all in German. Um, and I didn't know it was going to be all in German. Uh, but I just sat back and watched it all anyway, like two hours and ten minutes. And... I just I really liked it. Apparently, everybody else hated it. Um, but everyone else that could understand it hated it, but I didn't know what the hell was going on other than looking at the visuals. And it was just a, a really good experience watching it just for the visual. I said, um, you know, weirdly, I saw, I saw The Favourite on the 1st of January 2019, and I thought that's a high bar for the year to start on. And I'm not, still not sure if it's been bettered. Dearest Queen... How goes the kingdom? Did you just look at me? Stop it! I am the queen, but you are mad. Bro! <laughs> you look like a badger. I've sent for some lobsters. I thought we could race them and then eat them. <laughs> Is there cake? Let's shoot something. I should have you stripped and whipped. I'm waiting. We went for something dramatic. Ah! How dare you! <laughs> Your Majesty, I'd like to enjoy the music now. This is madness. Sometimes a lady likes to have some fun. I watched, I watched that in a really poor cinema. I won't say which one. Mm-hmm. Really poor cinema, and the sound was really piercing, and it just made me find the film rather obnoxious from a sound perspective. And I need to watch it again properly because it, it just pierced my ears to the point of not being able to enjoy it. That's not fun. That's not fun. Well, look, no. Mike, I've used up more than enough of your time. So uh, thank you, Mike Bradbury from Odin Cinema, for uh, giving no us your insight into. Exhibition of the 21st century. It's been enlightening and mm-hmm. and fascinating as well. No worries. No, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Cheers for having me on. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.